0: of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the premium ad-free version of the VBPH sermon podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we're very happy to welcome to this podcast, this episode of our interview podcast pastor nick half thanks for joining us sir how are you today
1: doing good doing good adam thanks for having me for sure awesome
0: well i uh, we really appreciate the time and uh as we are getting started with these weekly interviews i um i have just been spreading the word a little bit about you know what we're doing with the podcast and and so uh we found ourselves in a in a conversation since we were there in your city your fair city just just a few (laughs) days ago and uh so you were kind enough to uh to join this uh this crazy idea so thanks for
1: doing that yeah no i think it's a great idea i like it
0: yeah um so on this podcast we you know we we do sermons uh six days a week and then we uh we are starting to do these new interviews uh once a week and so what we uh, the whole reason behind this is we want to get to know the people behind the sermons and obviously when you hear somebody preach you're hearing a message that they've crafted from the word of god and um a lot of times we miss out on kind of the personal details in the background and even of people that we know and people that we've um uh you know rubbed shoulders with at conference time and those kinds of things and i think that's definitely true um of you and i i mean we've known each other for a long time yeah uh but i don't i don't really know a whole lot of details about your background so i'm excited to get get to hear this yeah
1: yeah be good it's gonna be Um, good
0: (laughs) so uh let's start at the beginning where are you from
1: so i was born and raised in in uh northern ohio was born in cleveland and then uh our family moved out of uh, the suburbs of Cleveland out into the countryside, about 45 minutes west of Cleveland, uh, into a very, very small farming community, very small township. Um, and basically, from fifth grade until I left at 19 years old after graduating high school, I was raised out uh, in the west western part of uh, well, it's not really Cleveland, but that's the main city where everybody knows it's it's Lorain County Amherst right off of Lake Erie and a little s- small farming community full of cornfields, soybeans and cows um, until I graduated high school and left for the military and yeah so Ohio I'm a Buckeye by by birth Ohio is my home and how would you describe your family life so mom and dad uh, I've got three sisters, one brother. So there's five of us siblings, five of us kids total. Um, Mom and dad stayed married. My dad was an alcoholic until I was probably, um, I think he sobered up completely when I was probably 10 years old, maybe nine years old. Parents stayed together. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She stayed at home with us, raised us kids. My dad um, worked a lot. And so he, he was uh, physically present, I guess you could say, but um, always, always on the move to provide for the five kids and his, and his wife. So had a good upbringing. Um, We were raised Catholic. My dad did not attend church. It was just mom and the kids and we are Catholics and until probably I was in eighth grade and my mom got invited to a very large rally at like a baseball diamond. And um, it was a, a Christian rally and she responded to the preaching, um, went to the altar at that baseball diamond and got saved. And in eighth grade, I had no clue being raised as a Catholic what saved was, but I knew something had changed in my mom's life. I knew she came home and she was joyful for the first time. I remember something, I knew something different had changed about her, but I had no clue what happened to her, but I really liked it. She was extremely happy. There was just a difference in her appearance and just the way she looked. And she drugged my sister, my oldest sister, um, to another rally and my sister got saved. And so now I got two, uh, two ladies walking around the house, joyful and singing these weird songs I'd never heard. Um, but we, we stopped going to the Catholic church and they were in search of, a you know, a, a Christian church. And at that time in my life, I was like, cool, no church, <laughs> you know, I wasn't into church. I was like, that's fine with me. And, uh, they found, they found a church. They found a, uh, four square, um, non-denominational church. And we started going to that when I was in ninth grade and, um, they They completely severed ties with the Catholic Church, and we started going to a non-denominational church. But my dad still, not a church goer, had wanted nothing to do uh, with church, and so it was just me and my mom and the rest of the kids. And so my view of a man was when I got older and became a man, I'd sit at home with Dad and watch bowling and fishing like he did on Sunday. And so I, I remember being a young kid couldn't re- wait to grow up and be a man so I could stay at home with dad. It was, you know, the women and children that went to church. And so that was kind of the role model or the model of a, of a man that I had at home, uh, in my dad. So that was kind of my upbringing. And then in, in high school, um, fifth grade, uh, when I was 15 years old, I remember taking my first drink of alcohol and I remember hearing my dad's voice Uh, Him telling me, son, don't don't ever drink alcohol because it's in our blood. My my great grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was, my father was, and so he was obviously seeing the generational curse there with alcoholism. And he, I remember, he used to warn me all the time, "Don't ever taste alcohol. You'll you'll become addicted." And I remember at 15 taking that first drink and thinking, "Dad, you don't have anything to worry about me because this stuff is horrible." (laughs) it was terrible yeah it was terrible and uh but as life goes on and you become a, a older teenager and you start going to parties and peer pressure um takes over and pretty soon you find yourself in in you know at a party and everybody's drinking and so what do you do you just do what everybody else is doing you start drinking and i developed at 16 years of age a um Uh, thirst and a hunger for alcohol and it really affected my the rest of my years I dropped out of every sport I was involved in Um, high school football dropped out of football and uh, earlier on I was in track I I had no extracurricular activities after that because every weekend all I wanted to do is drink and surprisingly as teenagers we found it we would find places where we could buy it or we would steal it we would find where it was at and i developed at a semi young age um this this taste for alcohol and graduated and went off to the marine corps and it just got worse they just fueled that um, fueled that fire now was out serving my country and alcohol was a lot more available and I would say the majority of the Marines that I knew or I was around were all drinking and it just kind of turned into a huge drinking party inside the barracks. And it was just getting worse and worse. I started drinking during the week, showing up to um, class or school through the military, still intoxicated, coming out of my veins. It was just a bad scene. But I remember wanting to change. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to be like my father. I remember, I remember being very young and my dad being drunk and you know, the fights that him and my mom would have. And I didn't want to be that way. And so I remember I tried to change. I just said, you know, I need a new group of friends. I need to change the people I'm hanging out with. They're a bad influence on me. So I found a bunch of Marines that were kind of fitness nuts, started going to the gym with them, spending time with them, lifting weights, but you know what I found, Adam? I found that all I did was exchange one sin for another. These guys may have not have been drinking. They're more conscientious about their body, but they're involved in other things. And I got involved in that as well. And uh, and it didn't take me long. All it took is me to get angry and bam, I was right back to the alcohol. You know. So so you can you can change your you can change your friends and you can change your li- where you live, but you know what your heart goes with you and that was my experience man i i didn't want to yeah isn't that the truth yeah i didn't i didn't want to be the person i was but i didn't know how to escape me everywhere i went i went with me <laughs> and so yeah no i had a i had a good home life but uh obviously it wasn't without issues
0: sure sure so with that with that background of um, your your mom getting saved and your sisters uh, I wonder how how old were you when that happened.
1: So I was in 8th grade. I'm not exactly sure how old I was. Maybe I don't know what 12, 13, 14 in 8th grade. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah, young.
0: And I was just curious like um you said that you had four or three
1: three sisters and one brother, was that right?
0: Yeah. And so where were you at in the birth
1: order? So I was the second oldest. Um, So my sister, my oldest sister, um, Danielle was first. And then you had me. Then uh, five years later came my brother, David. And then uh, two sisters after that, Holly and Jennifer. So yeah, five of us little Rugrats, man.
0: (laughs) And and I always ask because, um, because of this book that I read about birth order and how it has such a profound impact on your personality and so you being the first boy that means that you're you're um you're definitely paving some way so you're not not exactly the firstborn but you're not also exactly a middle child either you kind of have the would have the traits of the the baby because uh because this was a five-year difference between you and the next kid so you got kind of a, a good mix of those personality traits, I would say. And um, so I guess uh, your reaction, what what do you remember? You kind of described that already about just noticing what a difference was in your mom and your sister. Uh, but how did it affect you personally? Do you, do you remember any of that?
1: Yeah, I, I again, I don't um, I did not know what happened to them, but I really liked it um th- my mom's countenance literally changed i mean she had a glow about her which i don't know if that sounds weird or not or if you've ever seen somebody that really got saved sometimes their appearance their continence is just like light and that's the only way i could describe it and i remember being young really liking that because because when you have an alcoholic husband and both of my parents are high school dropouts. Neither of them graduated from high school. Um, they had a rough life. And so they bring in five kids quickly. My mom, to see a joy and a peace and just a, a, a happiness on her, I really liked it. Uh, I didn't know what happened to her. I really didn't. I, I just remember her walking around singing church songs and um I didn't want anything to do with it. I remember when we switched churches, and uh, the, going from a Catholic church, if you've ever been to one of those, they're uh, very quiet and private, if you sit down in the pew, uh, creaks or makes noise, everybody looks at you like you're disturbing. Nobody really talks to you afterwards. And then you walk into this non-denominational church, and there's a drum set up on the platform, and it Keyboard and a guitar, and everybody's wanting to shake your hands and know who you are. And I was just like, Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, but I really enjoyed it because I knew it was something good that had happened to my mom, and my sister followed suit. She, same thing happened to her. She was just uh, joy filled and walking around the house singing these church songs. And they were, man, they were just excited. And my mom went to full throttle trying to evangelize me. And that's kind of, uh, where I started to resist, I guess you could say, um, I didn't want her evangelism. I'll go to your church. That's fine. But I I don't want to change. I don't want to, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to change just going to church because we were raised going to church. I mean, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic church, ended up becoming an altar boy. We actually went to Catholic school, was raised in a Catholic school and taught by nuns church was just part of what we did and so it was like if i went to church i'm okay Um, but my mom started cleaning the house no secular music in the house except for my dad's because my dad didn't go to church and she couldn't change it but us kids we weren't allowed to have any secular music in the house she started um monitoring what we could and could not watch On television, and that kind of cramped my style right there. I'm like, all right, enough of this. I don't like this uh new church stuff (laughs) because I was I was Uh becoming a teenager, you know. I was entering into high school at that time, so yeah. So when she started touching, you know, some of my stuff, like, hey man, I'll go to church, but I don't know if I really like the way that you're uh changing everything here.
0: Gotcha. So it sounds like you had like a really positive. Uh, it um, view of what Christianity was all about from from that experience, even though you didn't accept it at the time. And um, you know what what I've noticed is that the gospel really has a polarizing effect that you can't be exposed to the power of Christ and his transforming, you know uh, the blood of Jesus and true forgiveness without either being drawn to it or kind of pushed away. And it sounds like you started to be pushed away at that time which which led you down the road of uh making some mistakes
1: yeah yeah for sure i'd agree with that
0: so yeah yeah so so you described uh joining the military and uh for those military members maybe you can describe you know what you did and what was your <laughs> raid and all that kind of stuff
1: so i uh, joined the marine corps went into uh, boot camp paris island south carolina for about three months and um after getting out, went through some more training, Marine combat training. And then you just get assigned an MOS, which is a military occupational specialty. And for me, um, I worked uh, as a uh, aviation electrician. So I did electrical work, uh, not on aircraft, but uh, support equipment to support aircraft. And so our school was probably about um, almost a year and a half between two different schools. I started in Millington, um, Tennessee at my A school and was there for several months. And then from there, we went to Jacksonville, Florida for our C school. And I was there for about seven months and that's where I got saved. I was probably in Jacksonville about three months and, uh, I was very w- well aware of the church because the church was very active on the Marine Corps base they were. Um, there were several guys that were constantly come into the barracks and evangelize knock on your door, just like an outreach walk right into the barracks and walk down the hallway and they would just knock door to door and they're evangelizing these barracks and. uh everybody knew the jacksonville florida church or at least every marine and sailor that was on that base that i was affiliated and familiar with because they were so evangelistic they'd walk right into the day room where we're all sitting there watching tv and just sit down and start witnessing and that's just that's who they were man and so i remember um me and my uh, roommate actually all of them i had four roommates at the time and every one of us were heavy drinkers. And uh, I was out on a Saturday, and a Marine had gotten married to a local girl. So he had moved into an apartment complex, and we're having a big party over there. And I remember I was dating my high school sweetheart. And so it was Saturday, I was like, oh, shoot, I got a caller. I, you know, this is before cell phones. And so I asked him, I said, hey, man, do you have a phone I can use? so i went into his back room well there's probably about 30 marines in this little tiny apartment as well as um, females and my girlfriend can hear the voice of the females and so we got in this big argument huge argument and uh and so you know i needed some counseling and needed to go back to the barracks and talk to my best friend and get some counseling after having this big huge argument with with my high school sweetheart well he wasn't in the barracks I said, well, where is he? And they said, he's at church on a Saturday night. I didn't even need to know ask what church. I knew exactly what church I knew it was at. The bad part about this, and, I, and I'm ashamed of this, but I was intoxicated and I got in my car and I drove to the church, intoxicated because I needed my best friend. You know, he's gonna counsel me and tell me everything's gonna be okay. And so And he must have been a good friend. Yeah. So he's at church, he's at an extreme scene at the church there in Florida. And so here I come, I pull up and I'm intoxicated and I know I'm intoxicated and I was raised better than that. You don't go into the house of God intoxicated, right? So I did what makes sense sense to um, drunk people is you just put a big wad of in so that the people can't smell my alcohol, my breath. And I make my way to the door and the door opens and it's pitch black. They're showing a movie. And he closes the door behind me, and all the street lights from the parking lot it, you know, de-illuminate because the door is closed. And the only light is the screen, and they're showing a video. And so I looked at him, I said, Hey, is is uh, Mike here? And he said, Is he a Marine? And I said, Yes. And he goes, All the Marines are sitting over there, and he points in a direction well it's pitch black and i'm intoxicated i can't see a thing and even if it was daylight i probably couldn't walk straight so i start walking in a direction and i have no idea where i'm going so i just start yelling for him in the middle of this extreme scene (laughs)
0: oh my god yeah mike
1: mike you in here he gets up and comes over and he says you idiot you're intoxicated what are you doing sit down so he's trying to calm me down and sit me down but you know i'm worked up because I just got in a fight with my high school sweetheart man we got to talk about this, so I would I couldn't be calmed down, and I was just ruining the extreme scene because i'm talking and so he picks me up and says we got to leave and he takes me back to the barracks. I sober up the next day Adam and I realized what I had done and I made a promise to myself I I embarrassed myself man I would never never show myself never show my face in that church ever i can't believe i was such an idiot to do something so foolish you know you know better than that that you know i already knew i had a problem but that was like the compounding moment like nick you've got a serious problem dude you need to get your act together the problem is i didn't know how and it was probably two weeks after that even after I made a vow, I'd never walk back in there. That same friend I pulled out of that extreme scene that night looks at me and he says, Hey, we need to go to church. And I said, why? And he says, because out of everybody, you and me need it. And I said, "Well, I can't argue with you. Let's go. And he's the one that took me. We get in the car. I think it was a Sunday night. Can't remember if it was Sunday night or Sunday morning. We drive back to that church and, uh, you know, I was raised in church, you know, I, I probably clapped my hands to the songs. I might have even said amen when Pastor Meyer was preaching. I don't remember. But one thing I do remember is I remember that altar call because I had never sat through an altar call before. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and God begins to deal with me. And, man, I just felt like God reached in my chest and grabbed a hold of my heart, and it was six feet in front of me, and he was just pulling me. And I was white knuckling the bottom of that metal chair with all my might. I did not want to go to that altar, not because I didn't want to get saved. I really did. I really felt convicted. I wanted to change, but I didn't want my Marine buddy to see me and say, oh, Nick just got religious and, you know, take that back to the barracks. And then I become the laughing stock of the Marine Corps. I'm like, no, 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 not not on my watch. I'm not going to let this happen to me. But, you know, Pastor Meyer said something. He said, if you're sitting here and you're worried about what everybody else is gonna think about you, can I tell you something? When you die, you stand before Jesus alone and nobody's gonna be there with you. So does it really matter what they think? And that was the breaking point for me, man. I raised my hand, I went to an altar and I prayed a prayer and I, Adam, I couldn't tell you what I prayed. I don't remember, but I meant it with all my heart. And, uh, and I got saved that day. I felt like a, a, a hundred pounds left off my back. You know, they say, they say white men can't jump. If there was a basketball hoop that day, I'll bet you I could have touched the rim, man. I felt so <laughs> light. I felt so light. And it was the greatest feeling I've ever felt in my life. And the Marine that took me, my friend Mike, he took me. He came to, he walked down the aisle. He followed me, but he stopped halfway, turned around and went outside and smoked. He didn't go all the way down. When I got outside, he says, now that you got Jesus, doesn't mean you're gonna stop hanging around with us, does it? And I said, no, I mean, and I meant that, why would I? But I'll tell you the truth, man, God really did a work in my life. I went that next Friday, because every Friday we went to the bar, that next Friday, I found myself back at the bar with all the same Marines, same bar, same bartender, same jukebox, same pool table, And I started looking around and I remember even asking the bartender, did you guys repaint here? She said, No. I said, Did you rearrange? Something's different. It really looked different to me. But I realized now there's nothing different. I was different. I don't belong there anymore. Something was out of place. And that was me. And I remember I didn't, that was the first night I did not get drunk. I went back to the church the next Sunday. I remember I walked in and I asked one of the guys standing at the sound booth. I said, hey, is drinking a sin? And they opened the Bible and they showed me, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that was it, man. Cold turkey. I never stepped back in another bar. I wanted nothing but Jesus after that. It's like, I don't want anything to do with that old life. I just want to live for you, Lord. And if he can use a knucklehead like me, here I am.
0: <laughs> wow and then you rode off into the sunset, and it was happily ever after, right?
1: Yeah. No, I wish. I wish. No, but it's been good. (laughs) God has been so good. There's been ups and downs, man, but God has been so good. He has been so good, but I, you know, Adam, I remember walking into that church, and I remember, you know, just struggling to stay saved, you know, and my old friends are pulling on me, because I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't even know Even though I was raised in church, I didn't know what it was to be a Christian. I memorized scriptures as a boy. Mom would give me a star when I memorized a scripture and things like that. But it's different being saved. And I was really saved. And I really wanted to live for God. And I didn't want to hang out with these guys. But I didn't have any more friends. And they were really pulling on me every weekend. And it was the church. It was the guys in the church that really made a difference. Um, they would invite me to their house, we crash out on the weekend, so I wouldn't have to be in the barracks for all the drinking and the girls and the magazines and all the stuff you know that I was into before they would let me crash out at their house and. Um, we go to outreach on Saturday, that was a trip going on outreach and and then afterwards we go to the swap meet they're just keeping me busy and talk about the things of God and they tell me what they're reading in their Bible just putting a hunger in me. And it was like, man, all they had to do, it was just like a fan, you know, fanning a flame that was God had already ignited in my heart. And I go back to the barracks and I would just preach to everybody that moved. It was dangerous to be a sinner around me, man, when I was a new convert. I just wanted everybody to experience what I had experienced. And if God could save me, I was convinced he could save anybody.
0: Man, what an incredible change.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I know not everybody's uh, experience is like that. But Adam, when I got saved, it, it was literally, I mean, night and day. It was literally light is off and on that quick. I mean, growing up as a Catholic, growing up in church, I had multiple Bibles on my headboard all throughout school, high school, never cracked them open once. Maybe once if I was in deep trouble and I wanted to get, get out and looking for a quick fix, you know, quick scripture to quote or something. But when I got saved, I developed this hunger. I just wanted to know what God said. I wanted to know what his word said. And I remember just reading his Bible and I wasn't good in school. I, I've got dyslexia. So reading was not my thing. I was in reading class, special ed classes all the way up till I graduated uh, read, special ed for reading. Reading was not my thing. I probably, by the time I got saved, I probably read two books in my entire life. And that was probably maybe 50 pages long. But now that I'm saved, man, I wanted to know God's word. I wanted, I just hungered for God's word and I would read it and it was like my mind would wander. I would read a paragraph and then I could not tell you could not tell you what I just read. It would frustrate me so bad. And so I wanted to know God's word so bad. I would walk in my barracks and I would read it out loud because if I heard myself speaking the words, my brain would absorb it. But if I just read it quietly to myself, my brain's a hundred miles an hour other places. And so I would read it out loud. And I found that if I read it out loud to myself, I comprehended it. And so that's how I began to learn God's word and, and and really comprehend it. And this is the other trippy thing is uh, I, when I got saved, I needed a Bible. I didn't bring a Bible with me. I was a sinner, man. I'm not bringing a Bible with me, but now I'm saved. So I remember I went to the local uh, Christian bookstore and this shows you how ignorant I was as far as uh, the Bible. I walk into the Christian bookstore and ask the guy, sure, you, can you show me where your Bible's at? He says all the way in the back against the wall. So I figured there'd probably be a table there with about you know six or seven Bibles. I can grab one and be out the door. So I go to the back wall, the whole back wall, Adam's Bibles, floor to ceiling, left to right, as far as your eye can see. Well, of course. <laughs> and I was like, holy smokes, how many Bibles do you need? I did not know that there was a King James, New King James, NIV. It, you know, I didn't know that there was multiple versions. So this is how I picked out my first, first Bible. Blue's my favorite color. So I found a blue Bible, and then it had a silver lining. The pages were lined with silver, and it just looked nice. That's how I picked my first Bible. (laughs) Unfortunately for me, it was King James Version. And so for the first probably six or seven months of my salvation, I read the King James Version with dyslexia, (laughs) trying to learn the word of God but I got it, man. I memorized scripture. I was in it, man, going to outreach. I quote them, and I probably sounded like King James. But yeah, it was wow. good times, man.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, what about your friend, Mike? Did he join the journey with you or no?
1: No, no. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm actually still in contact with him. Ironically, Mike is a Buckeye as well. He lives in New Philadelphia, Ohio, probably about um, four miles from our fellowship church that is there, pastor by Tom Cunningham. And, uh, he's, he's not saved to this day.
0: Wow. That's funny. I, I when you, we, you know, you hear stories like that, it's, it's the guy, uh, that you don't think is going to get saved and he gets saved and the guy that you thought was going to get saved and he doesn't show up ever again. Right. <laughs> funny how that works. Yeah. But, so, so you started living for god you took off like a rocket in the uh in the jacksonville church pastor meyer and what was the atmosphere like i mean you you described the the young men that they were encouraging you um was there was that like pretty common in the church there like just people wanting to live for god and holiness and those kinds of things
1: yeah the only way i could describe it was modern day book of acts for real it was the book of acts in 1995 because that's when i got saved is 1995 and uh, the church was maybe uh, i'm just gonna guess and i'm probably gonna get it wrong but i think it uh it was maybe 60 70 people at the most and um but yeah there was this just camaraderie there um uh, one of the things that I really wanted to be, I wanted to know God more. And I remember Pastor Meyer's son, Jeremy, played the drums and I played the drums. And so I, you know, I'd always watch him, you know, during song service because, you know, he's a drummer, I'm a drummer. But you know what I noticed, Jeremy, man, he had a he had a hunger for God. He loved God. And I remember in my naivety um, thinking to myself, if I can... If I can emanate him or, or if I can, you know, uh, do what he does, maybe I'll have the relationship with God that he has. And so I remember he would wear um, dress slacks and a, and a shirt and a tie to church. And I n- never wanted to put a tie on. I would always say, you catch me in a coffin when I have a tie on. But I remember going out and buying dress clothes because I thought, you know what, if I do what he does, maybe I'll have the relationship you know, that he has with God. And I just hungered for more of God because, yeah, that was the atmosphere there. It's was like outreach was something, you know, it was like a badge of honor, you know, go on outreach. And then it's like, after outreach, we didn't just go our separate ways. There was a, a Chris day was in the church and there was two other single guys and they had rented a house and there would be anywhere from 10 to 15, sometimes 20 guys after outreach over at this house and then Sunday morning we go to church then we'd all pitch in for food and uh, go back to the house and just cook food and talk about what we've learned in the word of God and pastor's sermon and then crash out and go to church Sunday night it was just like a family and I never went back to the barracks except for the outreach on a Saturday or on a Friday night and then uh Saturday Saturday night I'd spend the night at one of the guys's house and Sunday we'd be in church all day and then I head back to the barracks Sunday night get ready for work the next morning
0: wow what an experience you know you, you pray for those for that atmosphere to be present in our churches right yeah absolutely um so you uh uh you you were stationed there in Jacksonville and and so how long did you end up staying there
1: So unfortunately for me, it wasn't that long, I think, but from the time I got saved to the time I got stationed elsewhere was probably at best three months, but I think it was less than that, maybe two and a half months. So God really had to do a quick work in me because he knew, obviously I didn't know, but he knew that it was, you know, I was going to graduate from my school And then i was going to be uprooted from my birthplace of salvation and separated from my family of brothers the new family that i was building relationships with and i was going to be plucked up and stationed completely on the opposite side of of the world uh in my in my world anyways which was california so i went from florida one coast (laughs) to the complete opposite coast and i remember pastor meyer gave me a phone number he said, we just we just had conference. So I got saved in July. I think this is back when it was still Harvester's homecoming. And I remember they got their, their school bus. They had an old school bus at that time. And they all went to Harvester's. And he came back. And at Harvester's, I think they launched a church to California. So when I was getting ready to get stationed in California, he gave me a phone number. And he said, I don't know um the distance between your base where you're going and this uh new church but he's a friend of mine he's out of Chandler at minimum you can call him and he'll let you know what church is closest to you so I got stationed in Orange County California and the church that Pastor Meyer gave me was in San Diego uh the Chula Vista church and so this is my first time in California. I have no idea where Chula Vista, San Diego is. I have no clue. And so I remember I called the pastor and I said, hey, I got saved in Pastor Ron Myers Church in Jacksonville. He gave me your number. I just want to know if I was close. And he didn't really know where the base was. He knew it was kind of a uh, further drive uh, than 20 minutes, but he gave me some rudimentary directions, jump on this freeway, head this way, you'll see this freeway, drive down that freeway, get off on this street and look for this uh, address. And so I remember I jumped in my car, it was a Saturday because I wanted to be on outreach. I jumped in my car and Adam, I had no clue, but it was an hour and 45 minute drive one way. So I probably passed over a hundred churches easily but that Saturday when I showed up, Chandler would, uh, had been there and they were going to do an all-day outreach and they were performing Street Life. And so AJ was there, Stacy Dillard was there. I mean, the whole crew, man. And I had no idea who these people were. I'm a brand new convert, man. Just got stationed in California. First time I'm out here. And so I remember I drove down there. I stayed, outreached all day. Um, pastor uh, asked me to stay for the the um, the street life drama and so I remember AJ actually asked me to be in it they needed one more person and I'm a really shy reserved person what was a dance scene she pulls me out on out in front of all these people and she just says dance you know act like you're having a good time and so my gosh yeah it was crazy but uh, I remember shut down, and then, you know, I, I'm not just going to go home. I'll help these people clean up, clean up. So it's like 9:30, 10 o'clock at night. I jumped back in my car, hour and 45 minutes back to the base. But I had such a great time. Next morning, got up, jumped in my car, hour and 45 minutes. I'm in church, and uh, I didn't know the pastor, so I felt uncomfortable asking him if I could hang out. So hour and 45 minutes back uh, between church hour and 45 minutes back for Sunday night and Sunday night. I started thinking, you know what, there's gotta be a closer church. So I was driving back home, contemplating but something shifted in my spirit. And I said, nope, pastor Meyer recommended this church to me. This is a good church. This is my church. And I drove back and forth for probably about four and a half months was never late for prayer. I always made it for prayer. I'd hit the altar if I was late for prayer. I felt like I was sinning if I was late for prayer.
0: (laughs) Did uh, you all hear that? You better say that one a little bit louder for the ones in the back row.
1: Yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah. And then I got stationed overseas. And so I got plucked up again and stationed overseas. So that was kind of a short jaunt as well, about four, four and a half months. But, you know, Adam, you know, the cool thing about that, too, though, is uh, that same um, that same high school uh, sweetheart that I was telling you about earlier, uh, we, were still, we were still dating. I got saved. I witnessed to her, told her it's Jesus. And uh, she hung the phone up on me, says, you're crazy. You know, this is when I was in Florida. She said, you're crazy. And uh, so I call her back. I said, no, I got saved. I'm going to church. She just told me, shut up, whatever, I hung up the phone on me she wouldn't listen to it. She wanted nothing to do with this new. She thought I was lying to her. She thought I was going out and partying. And I had another girlfriend somewhere. And this was just like a cheap cop out or excuse um, not to call her on the phone. But you know, what? when I came home from Florida, back to Ohio, before I went to California, she saw the radical change in my life. And she said, whatever happened to you, I want to happen to me. And I know we don't missionary date, but I was just barely saved. And I said, all right, well, let's pray. And so she was my first convert and uh, this year we'll celebrate 26 years of marriage.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. What a story. So how how long between that moment uh, and the time that you got married to her?
1: Uh, Man, not long, not long. So I got stationed in California, found out I was going overseas And I told my pastor, hey, I want my girlfriend to experience our fellowship because we didn't have a fellowship church in the northern part of Ohio. And uh, she was going to church with my mom uh, at the Foursquare Church after I'd prayed with her. And so pastor said, that's fine. Fly her out here. She can live with me until you go overseas and she can go back home. So I bought her a ticket. She flew out. She moved in with the pastor and his family. Um, she lived there for about three months. She got filled with the Holy Ghost, got delivered from smoking, and she looked at me and says, "I don't want to leave." I uh, said, so, "Well, I can't afford an apartment in Southern California. You're gonna have to go home." So the only way that the only way that this is gonna work is if we got married and we got you know got into base housing. And she didn't say anything. She was staring at me. I was like, "What? You want to get married? All right, praise God. Let's get married." And so,
0: <laughs> how romantic?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very, very unromantic. <laughs> it was very unromantic. She was eighteen, I was twenty years old, and uh, we got married in that that church in Chula Vista. There's probably about I don't know, maybe maybe eight people in the church at the time. And uh, but my wife and I were very evangelistic. I mean, on my wedding day, I'm driving my car to the base to pick people up because I just want them to be in church. And we had a service full of Marines. I invited every Marine I knew, all my old friends, everyone that would ever come. We had a bunch of Marines, a bunch of sailors. We packed a house out and we got married. And then six days later, I took off for Iwakuni, Japan, by myself. And then she stayed with the pastor and his wife for probably another month until base housing opened up. And she had nothing but her her suitcases. So she moved into a completely empty, base housing with two suitcases and the pastor's wife gave her a sleeping bag and that's what she slept on for probably four months
0: wow wow she must have loved you or jesus or both
1: yeah i think it was yeah it was probably it was probably both <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so wow amazing and so then you were you were in japan you're stationed there and how did that play out
1: so that was, a, that was another wild scene. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Australia and Thailand and, and Vietnam and various other places. Um, but, you know, I really felt like the Marine Corps didn't send me there. I felt like God sent me there because when you go overseas, the stigma is in the Marine Corps. When you go overseas, you become one of three things. You become an alcoholic. You become a PT junkie. PT is physical. Training, or you become religious. Well, I was the first two prior, and I wouldn't consider myself religious. I just loved Jesus, and so when I got there, the Marine Corps paid for me to go. But God was sending me there because there was going to be Marines that were going to become alcoholics. There was going to be Marines that were going to just work out because they missed their family and they had nothing else to do. And so I, I forego, I forewent any deployment. Um, To any other country because I wanted to stay right there in Japan and evangelize, and I did. I just repeated what I saw in Jacksonville. I started going door to door. I made my own flyers. I I hand drew my flyers. I'm kind of a somewhat of a um, self-made artist, so I drew my own flyers. I went to the um, base library, used my own money, made my own copies, and uh, I just went on outreach. I started morning prayer. Um, We had some Marines starting to get saved. And uh, I would say within about three months, we had about six or eight Marines that would meet me in my barracks room at 545 every morning for morning prayer. We had Bible study. Oh my
0: goodness, that's radical.
1: Yeah, we had Bible study every Thursday night. We go on outreach. Um, Once we got up to about eight or nine uh, Marines, we went on a bike ride to what the Japanese people call Buddha Falls. We renamed it Jesus Falls because we baptized them in that. Uh, that, that river. And then we all went uh, um, sliding down the, the natural landscape of the river. It was actually a waterfall. It was a three-tier waterfall. And the rock was so smooth, you could actually slide down it like a slide. And we would climb up the side of this cliff, this mountain, and then sit down in the river and slide down into Buddhist, Buddhist Falls that we renamed Jesus Falls after our baptism. So yeah, it was pretty cool. And then we, uh, then when I got back, All those Marines were from various different bases from around the United States, and they dispersed and, you know, went to different bases. Some of them were from California and came back and started going to the Chula Vista Church, and some of them um, uh, were from the Orange County area, like myself, and started going to the Fullerton Church, which is that's where I actually ended up because um, my EAS was coming up, and I was getting ready to get discharged, and they were shutting my base down moving everybody to san diego but because i was getting out they left me there they didn't want to pay for me to move and so my wife and i started attending the uh, church in the fullerton area fullerton california after getting so that
0: would be uh pastor mel bianco is that right
1: well before it was mel bianco it was jesse dionda but yeah pastor mel ended up taking it over
0: okay okay wow man you bounced around quite a bit there and um so at, at some point, you uh, began to feel a pull toward ministry and, and calling. Um, talk about when that started happening in your life.
1: Yeah, so I was still in the Marine Corps. My wife and I, again, um, being overseas was a, a really good thing and a hard thing for us. I mean, newlyweds by six days, and then I leave, and then she's 18 years old away from her entire family for the first time. And then to pluck somebody out of the Midwest and throw them into Southern California is, is a culture shock. And, uh, but man, my wife was such a trooper and, and she, she just, she continued, she made that hour and 45 minute drive by herself, you know, back down the Chula Vista until, until, um, my orders were changed and I was ended up staying in, in the orange County area and we, ended up going to the fullerton church but she did that all by herself for months and months and months and she would evangelize and go on the base because i had a sticker on my car this is pre 9 11 she just drive on the base with all the other military people and outreach and so when i got back um i'm still fairly a new convert if you remember i got saved in jacksonville two and a half months then i was in chula vista four months and so six months completely saved and then i'm off by myself no pastor no church pretty much by myself in in japan nobody really to disciple me other than my prayer life and and my bible and occasional letter from um from my pastor in chula vista at the time and then uh so when we got back you know both of us had a heart we wanted to do something but you know we we had a tv by this time her um, her dad had, uh, her, her, the Marine Corps had gotten her stuff from her dad's house and brought it out to California. So we had a TV and we'd get up on Saturday morning and we'd watch, um, television and we'd be like, Hey, we, we need to go to outreach. And, uh, okay. Well, after this show, you know, we did that for several Saturdays in a row and we just got really ticked off. So, you know, this thing is just keeping us from ministry. This this thing is just keeping us from doing the will of God. So we got rid of that TV, man, and we went on outreach and uh, just, just had a heart for God, wanted to do something for God, and started outreaching and evangelizing in Fullerton. And I uh, went right from uh, uh, the Marine Corps after I got out to um, uh, witnessing to the gangs in Southern California. There's a Hispanic gang, Fullerton's Toker's Town. And, and there's a uh, couple gang members that got saved. And God just started moving powerfully in the gang, we go down to the gang territory, and this is the irony of God, I mean here's this white kid from the Midwest surrounded by cornfields pretty much my whole life. And all of a sudden God plucks me up and saves me and plants me in southern California, with these gang members Hispanic gang members I have nothing in common with these people at all other than I just have a heart to see Jesus. Touched their <laughs> lives, and we, man, we saw God did such a radical thing in, in that gang. We saw several gang members come in and get saved, and, and just powerfully touched, you know, by God. And uh, and we're just on outreach. We 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 got involved in the drama team. My wife wanted to play the keyboard, and so she told me one day on the way home, she wants to buy a keyboard. And uh, but we're you know military pay. We didn't have a whole bunch of money. I said, well, you better pray that God gives you a keyboard. I can't afford to buy you a keyboard. She said, Well, I already prayed. I said, oh, okay. And so we're coming home. And on Thursday, uh, on Wednesday night, Thursday morning was trash day for the for the military. So Wednesday night, everybody puts their trash out. So we drive by this couch and my wife says, Stop. I said, What? She goes, I saw a keyboard on that on that couch. I said, Ryan, no. If it's in if it's in the Marine Corps trash, it's trash. I am not, I am not about to pick through trash, man. I work with these people, man. She says, no, no, please, please just, you know, go, you can fix it. Go look it. Adam, it was a, it was a Yamaha PSR 350, a really nice keyboard. We, we took it home and uh, plugged it in. All the lights came on. I was like, what? this is crazy, but the keys didn't work. No sound. So I took the back apart. You know what was wrong with it? The wire had fallen off. The solder had broken off from the speaker. I soldered it back on. That keyboard worked. We set it up in the living room, and she began to um, ask the pastor's wife how to play. And she basically learned how to play in, in our living room. And you know, so then she entered in the song service, and I could play the drums, so I entered in the song service. We just wanted to do anything for God, you know. And after serving in that Fullerton church for two years, I just felt God stirring me. You know, I had already gotten out of the Marine Corps. Now we decided to stay in the church. We were being discipled at instead of going back home. And uh, I said, you know, I told my pastor, pastor, I'd I'd like to preach the gospel. But our church wasn't that big. It was maybe 40, 45 people at the most. So money was an issue when you talk about launching a church. And uh, he would always say, well, let's pray about it and we'll see what happens. That happened two years in a row. (laughs) You know, pastor, hold I want to preach, you know, he's like, well, let's pray about it. You know, we really don't have the money right now, but let's pray about it. and See what happens, you know, at conference time. So finally the third year, the, the, the house that we were living in, the, the landlady told us that she's going to sell her house and we had to move. So I went to uh, I went to my pastor and I told him, you know, pastor, I got to move anyways. So I got to get a U-Haul and I got to find a place to live. I said, is there anything wrong with me um, driving out? and renting an apartment in the city. I feel God calling me to, and he says, <laughs> he says, well, the church would like to, you know, launch you out and, and do something. And, uh, he says, but yeah, if you got to move, let's, let's do it. So he took up a love offering. The church was able to afford our U-Haul. So they paid for our U-Haul and I had to pay first month's rent anyway. So we moved up to, uh, Inglewood, California, man, where I felt God calling us to, to, to preach. And uh, we found we found an apartment on uh, Crenshaw Boulevard and 84th Street. And we started pioneering pioneering our first church. It's like
0: you launched yourself out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it seemed that way a little bit. But I mean, in in my mind, I'm like, gosh, I got to move anyways. I mean, it's not going to cost the church anything. I mean, I've got to foot this bill. So why don't I just move to where I feel God calling me? But he really wanted to invest in us and and they did they took up a love offering and they were able to pay for the the u-haul uh to get us at least get us loaded up and get us down there and and man we went and uh and we started pioneering our first church in in los angeles man that was a trip
0: yeah i'm sure you have uh plenty of um wild stories as every pioneer does yeah <laughs> so uh and how long did you end up uh staying there
1: so we were in inglewood for about three and a half years um we had a, a pretty decent group i would say probably anywhere from 15 to 20 people after about three years we were renting the inglewood unified school district building we'd meet in their cafeteria and um the school district doubled their tuition and we couldn't afford it anymore all the people we had was primarily teenagers that were coming to our church we either picked them up or they lived right in the school district area and they would walk to church and so inglewood doubled their tuition for us we couldn't afford to rent their facility anymore and there was no nice hotels anywhere in inglewood you weren't going to go and rent a banquet room or anything like that so we had to move a complete city over just to have church and it was basically like starting over and so i remember i called my pastor i didn't want to go back in i really felt like god you know i wanted to preach but it was almost like starting over you know it was like that right there just robbed the wind out of my wife and i's sail um, you know, we just worked so hard for three, three and a half years, we got this little group of people and then all of a sudden we got to move and, you know, it's like starting over. And so I didn't know it, but my pastor at that time, Jesse Deonda, was actually going to go into Mesa and be the assistant for Richard Romero. And Pastor Mel Bianco was going to take the Fullerton Church over. And so uh, I was encouraged to call Pastor Campbell. And talk to him about it. So I remember I called Pastor Campbell and just told him the dilemma. You know, we've been here three and a half years, Pastor, and now we have to, you know, move to a different city. We're starting all over, you know. Um, just feel kind of discouraged, not really sure. Well, Pastor knew that my pastor was going to be pulled out. Pastor Mel, there was a lot of moving and shifting. And so he asked me, he says, Can you make it to Paris, California on this day? He was going to come preach for Robert Hedegar in Paris. And I said, yeah, Pastor, I can go. So we went and we met after the service. It was me, Pastor Campbell, Miss Connie, uh, Pastor Mel, his wife, me and my wife, Pastor Jesse Deonda, and his wife all in this office. And so it was pretty miraculous. Pastor Campbell's like, all right, well, Jesse's going into Mesa, this, this, Mel's taking over the church uh jesse if you want to release nick to me uh i'd be happy to take him over if that's okay with you and i'm just sitting there like blown away just like in a matter of seconds pastor's just moving and he's making things happen and uh pastor says you know pray about it and if you and your wife would like to and you know i'd love to have you guys come and pioneer in phoenix and i said yeah absolutely pastor and so that was 2003, Pastor Campbell. We were released from our pastor. Pastor Campbell adopted us and took us in, and we packed up again, man, and headed to Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, pioneered our second church, um, 19th Avenue, Thunderbird Road.
0: Wow. Yeah, so this is where our paths started to cross, because I can remember you being there for conferences and doing some outreach teams for you back then. That was when yeah that was when yeah when i was in the chandler church discipleship shoot getting ready to go out and stuff right yeah that's pretty cool
1: yeah and we were there in phoenix for probably i would say probably another three years and then we came back into the chandler church for six months for a time of refreshing And in my mind, I was hoping to be there for a year just to sit underneath pastors preaching because I wasn't saved in Chandler. Um, You know, I was saved in Florida very, very short time and then California a very short time and then two, two and a half years in Fullerton. And then we got launched out. So I was only saved five years by the time we went to go pioneer our first church. I had no clue what I was doing and and i just felt like man i just need to sit underneath pastor campbell and just glean off of him and we we're in the chandler church and um and it was great loved it loved being in sunday school and we built some of our uh very very close relationships even to this day in that very very short time that we were there very close relationships um that we still have and and but i remember feeling very uncomfortable you don't you don't belong here you, you need to be out preaching you know it's wonderful to be preached at thank god for that but you know you need to be preaching i remember pastor uh pulled me aside and says hey but we have a church that uh might be opening up in texas want to know if you and your wife want to go and i said yeah absolutely pastor we're going said, no, no, no no you need to go and talk to your wife and uh go home and pray about it okay so my wife is waiting for me out in the car she thought i was in trouble or something pastor called me into his office and so uh I get in the car. She says, what'd you do? I said, nothing. Pastor says he wants to know if we, uh, we want, want to take over a church in Texas. And she said, you told him we'd go, didn't you? I said, yeah, I told him we'd go. But I he said, no, go talk to you. And so thank God for a good wife. huh? <laughs> yeah. And so before we I mean, we we're already out of the parking lot of the church before we made it into the parking lot of our apartment. She said, call him back. Tell him we'll go. So, I mean, we didn't even make it home. And I called him. I said, Pastor, we'll go. So uh, we rented a car. He wanted us to drive out there. So we we drove into Wichita Falls, Texas, and, um, you know, uh, he wanted us to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night and just get to know the people and and the pastor that was there and just pray and see if God would have us there. And we just we just fell in love, you know, with with Texas, you know, just being there and uh, said, yeah, pastor, we'll go. And uh, 2006 man packed it up all over again and headed to Texas
0: so man that's a a lot of moving a lot of moving around for you guys
1: yeah well we're you know we're young and we're in the military so used to moving around in the military and dragging my wife with me everywhere i went so yeah we're we're used it was it was really not a big thing for us like yeah praise god man if god needs us somewhere let's go let's pack it up let's do this but yeah we got there 2006 to the wichita falls church it was a great church um, pastor Ralph Vanna Cruz and his, and his wife, Lucy did a great job. I think they were there 10 years before we showed up. They had a solid core of people and we walked into disciples and, you know, uh, it was, it was just a, it was a good time. And, and my wife and I at that point had already been married, I think, gosh, eight, nine years, maybe at that time, maybe 10 years at that time. We, we were childless. We wanted children, but we couldn't have children. And, uh, man, when we were in California, we went through infertility and, uh, so far to the point where I was injecting my wife with these infertility drugs and like nothing, nothing we did worked. Nothing was working. And I came from a big family, you know, five siblings. I wanted children. And she wanted children. It just wasn't happening. And, uh, so we get to Texas and man, I'll tell you what, Adam, after you, you pray for something and you physically seek out medical attention for something and it's not happened, you just kind of lose heart, you know, just, well, you know, God, maybe, maybe children, there's no children in our future. Maybe this is not for us. And I remember it was a morning prayer. I was at morning prayer and I was in my normal spot. And I remember I, I, I wasn't giving up. But I, res- I, I just said, God, you know what? If there's no children, I remember tears coming down my eyes because I really wanted children. We've been married uh, 10, 11 years, something like that. And I said, God, if there's no children in my future, I'll still love you with the same passion. I'll still serve you with the same vigor. i I'll, I'll And I had no clue, but my wife, see, I didn't want to tell my wife I was praying that prayer because it's almost like conceding, right? Giving up. I had no clue she was praying the very same prayer at home around the very same time. And, uh, we have an evangelist in our fellowship, you know, in NASCAR before he was evangelizing, we had him scheduled to come for a revival and he prayed for people, uh, to, to have children. And we had been prayed for multiple times. I mean, we're in the ocean outside healing crusade, pastor Mitchell, if you're struggling with infer- infertility, stand up, pastor Mitchell's prayed, you know, so we've been prayed for. Pastor Campbell's prayed for us, multiple people. But there's something special about this day. Evangelist Oscar Gafor, man, if you want to have children, come up here. Me and my wife went up there and he prayed <laughs> for gonna us. He's going to
0: start getting some phone calls after people hear this testimony.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it gets better. So he prays for us. And uh, my wife will probably correct me, but I think it was about two, two months, maybe three months, we found out she was pregnant. After he prayed for her, so uh, just the just the joy of Jesus, man, because we didn't think, I didn't think we're going to, so after we find out she's pregnant, I confessed to my wife that I had said that prayer. And she said, you know what, I didn't want to tell you, but I prayed that pr- same prayer. But I almost wonder if it was God saying, because I saw your devotion, even though, you know, even though I, you weren't going to get or it didn't look like you were going to get what you wanted out of life. I'm going to reward you. Anyways, I don't have the answer for that, but it just seemed like that, you know, just God just moving like that. And then uh, so we had our first daughter, Briella Rose, man. What a joy. And then um, and then three, three years later, uh, Pastor Gafford now is uh, pastoring in Arlington, Texas. And we had him over to the house for fellowship and he's getting ready to leave, go back home and his wife and his family. And so I said, well, let's pray uh, for you, Pastor Gafour, before you head back traveling, mercies. And he looks at me. He goes, you want any more children? So I look at my wife. We just shrug our shoulders. Sure. And he said, how many? I said, well, let's just start with one more. He prayed for us. Two months later, our second daughter came.
0: (laughs) Oh, man.
1: (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So God has been good to us.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, we were blessed to just meet them last week, and now they're, I think they were 12 and 9, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, 11 and 8, they will be 12 and 9 in December, they are both born in December, Yep, both born in Texas, they're little Texas babies.
0: Okay, the land of milk and honey, fruitfulness.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: So, man, all right, well, well, bring us up to speed with where you're at now, and what
1: God's doing. Yeah. So, so what brought us to the state of Ohio is my wife's father passed away unexpectedly and it kind of rocked our world. He, she was, um, her sister had died when we lived in Phoenix. And so that was her only sibling. And then she, she has no other siblings. Her parents were divorced. So she was the sole, um, survivor of her father's estate. And we lived in Texas, a very, very emotional, very difficult time flying back. Um, she was pregnant with our um, second daughter, Eliana, at the time, um, and it was very, very difficult um, dealing with the estate. Uh, we found out in the state of Ohio that if you don't live in the state of Ohio, you can't be the sole um, proprietor or executor of, of, of a state of somebody that lives you know, here. So we had to find somebody to be the executor of the state, and we had to fly back to Texas, a lot of legal stuff. Anyways, we, we started talking. We need to get closer to home. Her only surviving sibling is her mom and her stepdad. And so I called Pastor Campbell and we just begin to pray and just God to begin to put the Midwest. And I'm thinking Pennsylvania, West Virginia. I'm not even thinking Ohio. I don't want to go back to my home state, just maybe somewhere closer. And God just starts dropping Cincinnati in my heart. So no God, I don't want Cincinnati. I'm, I'm I'm done with big cities. I did LA, I did Phoenix, Wichita Falls is perfect size, you know, maybe Dayton, but not, not Cincinnati. It's too big. And God just keeps hammering me, Cincinnati. I'm like, God, I don't know a single person or anything about Cincinnati, Cincinnati. And so I remember a conference. Pastor says, Well, where are you going? And I said, Pastor, I'm going Cincinnati. And uh, when I spoke those words out, Adam, just like this joy, this expectation, this excitement that for the city. We've been in the city now eight years and uh, love the city, man. Love the people. Got a good church, uh, good group of people. Uh, I got a vision, man, uh, you know, just to see the city one for Jesus. It's a It's a big city. It's not as big as some, but it's big enough to fit anywhere from 10 to possibly 20 fellowship churches here. And, uh, and thrive. And so we're, we're, we're pounding the pavement, man, just like all the way back in my my discipleship days back to Jacksonville, man, just knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus and seeing people come into the church. Matter of fact, when you were here and you preached, we saw two people come in get saved. One guy dumping a beer out after service saying he doesn't need this anymore. So that's, that's, that's where I get my joy from, man. That's where, that, that still lights my fire. That right there, I could have a hundred doors slammed in my face, with that one door that says, yes, I'll come, I'll serve Jesus. That's what makes it worth it for me.
0: Yeah, that's what we live for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. powerful. It's powerful. And so uh, what I like to do is looking back on your years now of, of salvation and ministry, which uh, you said 1995, you got saved so that's going to be uh public math is dangerous yeah uh, that's going to be a 20 uh yeah 25 years plus
1: yeah yep
0: man and so uh with with that uh, I, there there's a couple of questions i have for you as we close out and i thank you for being generous with your time what would you say to the person who just recently got saved or or just recently got their heart right with god and what 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 would you say to them to encourage them to continue on the path?
1: Show up. Show up. Every time them church doors are open, that, that's what did it for me, man. Just showing up, showing up. Like like when I walked into that church in Jacksonville and I began to ask them, how long you been saved? One guy said three years. And I was just blown away. How do you stay saved for three years? I'm just worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about next week. Three years, that's mind-blowing. But you know what? I just kept showing up. Just keep showing up, man. God would keep touching me. It's like he kept building me. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. I didn't have to make myself, change myself, build myself. All I had to do is follow up and walk in the footprints that were already in front of me. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to this. Maybe you're a new convert. You've been saved for you know, a while. And maybe you're just battling and struggling. Man, life's ebbs and flows, man. Ups and downs. But just continue to show up god will break through a promise
0: and to the to the person who is thinking about ministry and pastoral ministry or not even pastoral but you know maybe with the call of god with whatever that would be and uh you know you've been you've been serving the lord in that capacity for many years and in different different cities and um, what's one thing you would say to that person who's who's thinking about it or struggling
1: with it today um you got to decide what you want to do in life, uh, what you want to be. Um, there's a lot of things that, that I do. There's a lot of things that I can be. But at the end of the day, um, I really want to serve Jesus. And, and God will use whatever talent, whatever gifting, whatever calling that you have in your life. And everybody's different. He'll use you at whatever capacity that you're, you're willing to surrender to him. I remember when I first got saved I didn't have a great uh, educational background and so because of that I didn't think God could use me, but I remember honestly, this was a serious prayer. In Chula Vista California kneeling at an altar God if you can use me to change light bulbs and clean toilets I'm your man i'll serve you until the day I die, and I thought that would be probably the the height of my ministry career and it was only a couple weeks later that i felt god calling me you going to preach the gospel and i said no you got the wrong person i'm not educated enough smart enough talented enough i, I don't have those qualities and i realized you know that's why god uses people because it's not us it's him
0: that's absolutely right well i am very very grateful we've uh, we've gone over our time here but I'm, I'm grateful for your time and for your incredible testimony thank god for you and your wife and your family and the church there in cincinnati uh you have given us a lot of reasons to uh you know to be encouraged and uh things that we can pray for Uh, maybe you could just include as we close here give us a couple of uh bullet points that we could add to our prayer list uh for you and 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 the church there in cincinnati
1: yeah for sure yeah just pray uh that god would just give us key converts uh to to open doors to areas uh, of this city, uh, the youth, uh, teenagers, and uh, and I'm praying, uh, my heart right now is for uh, young couples that are just shacking up, that have kids, uh, they don't know their left hand from their right hand, they're not married, they're just living together, they've got kids, so I'm praying for these couples to come into church and, uh, and get saved, so if they can pray for the youth, and, uh, young couples, uh, come into the church and just surrender their life. That would be a great blessing and pray for my wife and I and our families. We're here just doing the will of God. I'd really appreciate that.
0: Well, definitely. There's going to be a lot of people, um, that will add you to the prayer list to, uh, as they hear this. So once again, thank you so much, pastor Nick, it's been a great privilege to hear your testimony and we glorify God for all that he's done in your life. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yes, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Yes. And we just want to encourage everyone uh, to make sure that you're subscribed. Uh, Make sure you are uh, listening to this. And if you like to support uh, world evangelism, that's why we are doing this podcast. We want to write a big fat check on Thursday night as a result of your uh, subscriptions. So if you like what you hear, we encourage you to sign up. All the links are in the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with Pastor Nick, maybe uh, what how, how, how can people get in touch with you if they have a question for you? Uh,
1: so we do have a website uh, that they could um, uh, shoot me an email. Our, our website for our church is The Door Cincy, it's spelled C-I-N-C-Y dot com, The Door dot com. Um, and uh, our, my phone number is on the, the website as well if they want to call me. So
0: that's great. Well, that's awesome. We appreciate your time, Pastor Nick. And well, I guess we'll see you pretty soon in conference. Yes, sir. All right, man. God bless you. We'll, We'll be praying for you. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your night. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.